through very, very individually and you have that experience on your own and you, you get that pride in yourself for achieving something. But it, it's something then it's definitely worth sharing. It's worth talking to other people about and getting their experiences. And it, you, you know, it's almost like I always, I always compare it to like school kids coming back after the summer when you meet up with people after with your club. You all, you're all excited to tell us your story and you're excited to see how so-and-so did and whether he made that same mistake this year or whether he didn't. And Everyone's in such a good form after it. It's a really great, great way to be. Welcome to No Finish Line, a podcast with John O'Regan, sponsored by Great Outdoors Dublin. Hello and welcome back to another episode of No Finish Line podcast. This will be another marathon-specific episode. This is kind of a follow-up to the previous episodes as we're going to talk about after the marathon. This episode is about the recovery and that means the mental as well as the physical recovery. And for this episode I'm joined by another Irish international ultra runner, Matthew Collins. Matthew runs with Port Marnock AC. He has represented Ireland in the Anglo-Celtic Plate on two occasions, 2021 in Mondello Park, Kildare, Ireland and 2022 in Perth, Scotland. In this year's Dublin Marathon, he crossed the finish line in a fantastic time of 2 hours, 29 minutes and 28 seconds. That was after a marathon running journey of 10 years, starting with his first finish time of 3 hours 22. He progressed with times of 3.18, 2.59, 2.52, 2.42, And then he sat in and around 2 hours 33 for 4 years and approximately 30 different marathons until the Dublin Marathon of 2023. And this is why I thought he'd be the ideal guest. So Matthew, welcome to the podcast. And how is your recovery going? Thanks, John. When you said there, how many marathons, you know, I was sitting at that, uh, that 2.33 mark really, really hit home. And the recovery is going well. Like It's only been two days at this point. Um, but, you know, as someone who has, has, has tackled a few marathons in my time, it, it, it's good to know, I suppose, what to do and how to get the recovery moving as quick as possible. Now, although you said it's only two days, but two days is enough time to actually get things wrong. If you don't kickstart the recovery soon after coming over the finish line and don't have an idea of how to kind of progress your recovery, it is going to slow things down, isn't it? Yeah, look, a hundred percent. And look, I, I, I don't want to be here, you know, being a bit of a, a bit of a buzzkill as it were, but <laughs> I think whenever you, you know, whenever, whenever you start to know your body a bit better and you start to think so many people out there, and I'd love, I'd love to have a, a poll of how many people around Dublin who had everything, had the preparation in advance, so um, nailed down, and they had their, they had measured out their carbs and the preparation and the carb loading, and then it kind of comes to the, it kind of comes to the after part, and suddenly they cross the finish line, and you know it's raining, and they probably don't even have the right clothes ready, or maybe they haven't packed a, a an after run marathon snack, and and they're, they're kind of wandering around Baggett Street for a few hours, and it's just not something people like to think of. I think it's almost as if it's a bit, bit of bad luck, but. Yeah, look, absolutely. And I, I guess one of the key things I find is, you know, you spend so many weeks doing 18 miles, 20 miles, 22 miles, and, you know, you, you build this up. And really the marathon, while, while, while the intensity is higher, you know, the, your, your body is getting used to this kind of distance. And usually you go, you'll go home, you'll eat something straight away. Maybe you'll, you know, you'll have that shower, you'll do a bit of stretching. Um, and of course, that, that that's different on the day of the marathon. So, Getting those salts into you, you know, getting that, um, you know, maybe it's a hydration tablet. Maybe, maybe, maybe you'll actually take one of those six or six or seven free uh, protein milks you'll get in the expo and actually drink, 
think one of them after marathon. I think I, I think there are two sort of very easy, very important things that you can do, as well as obviously you know start to move, keep moving, walk. It's amazing, obviously, when you cross the finish line and your body tightens up. But actually, a decent walk, maybe a walk around town, or maybe a walk to meet friends, and maybe just go a little bit further to that to that pub for your lunch. And um, it, it it actually makes a massive difference, you know. And going into the rest of the afternoon and that evening, you'll actually find a, a, a massive difference compared to what would happen if you just crossed the finish line, sat down, and I guess just you know started having a few pints immediately. You mentioned the recovery drinks that were available at the expo and I was actually steering people towards them. I was on the stage talking about pacing and the protein drinks were right beside the stage and I think that they are an ideal thing to actually have in your bag. What was the first thing you ate after crossing the finish line? Was it one of those drinks? Yeah, the, exactly. And like, and John, those things, you know, there's, there's so many things in, in running, in marathon running, and these you find those different colored drinks and gels and, and different things and tablets that and uh, supplements that really, you sort of think, I'm not really sure what's in this, but everyone's taking it. But look, just a decent protein milk or a decent, even just a decent milk, something like that is actually very, very simple and it's very, very easy. And it's actually quite nice as well to have. I crossed the finish line, and I think the first thing I had was I literally had pre-packed um, one of those protein milks, and I actually had um, one of the, uh, the the flapjack bars as well. So when I crossed that line, I think I sat down at just uh, one of the uh, the cafes with, with my wife and kids just at the entrance um, of the marathon, and I actually had all three at once, and I just sat there. So I warmed up with a cup of tea, and I had some protein milk, and I had a flapjack as well. And then shortly after that, as we were wandering back through town to try and, get a, try and find our way home, I had um, look just as a simple sort of I think it was a high five hydration tablet and water, um, and again these are all things you can have pre prepared and um, they're the things you can pack, and they're really really handy things just to get things just to get that recovery going and and actually you know it, it's a very very straightforward you know thing to do where you know previously I find that if I, maybe I didn't think about those salts or maybe I didn't think about something to to have um, immediately afterwards I, I very quickly get a headache. And then you're very quickly in this kind of world of just trying to catch up um, and sort of manage the pain. And maybe you're taking painkillers and then maybe it'll go away. And actually, there's a much more effective way to mitigate that. And that is essentially by, you know, feeling correctly and, and, and preempting that kind of thing from happening. Just what you mentioned there about all these stuff that people are taking, it's starting to become really overcomplicated. And I've seen a lot of posts on Instagram and I don't know why to be looking at them. But to see how how much effort someone puts into their pre-race and it's stuff that they haven't practiced. They're kind of going on the advice of someone who might not know what they're doing. And that in itself can be setting them up for a bad day out, setting themselves up for disaster. There's an over-consuming of gels and over-consuming of, of water. I think people overdo it with the, with the fueling. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And look, and you know, I'm you know a bit like yourself, John. I, I really appreciate you know a good, a good study-based science, and I yes. appreciate the fact that there is there's definitely one percent gains to be made for everyone, and that can be over simple things like we talked about, or it could be made over specific supplements that maybe certain people or or certain you know maybe certain you know maybe certain genders or certain people might actually need and might actually benefit from. But, you know, to, to just see something on Instagram, maybe, or, or social media and say, oh, you know, oh, that's something he takes and I, you know, I kind of want to be as fast as him or I want to be as fast as her so that I'll take that. 
And like my my worry really, I suppose, is is not even so much that you're taking something that's going to do you damage. It's, it's really most of the fact is that a lot of these cases they just don't do anything. They're just kind of empty empty supplements that are things that you'll get from maybe like a balanced diet or maybe you'll you know you're just getting a massive amount of something which is not really contributing and then anything to your running and it kind of comes it becomes a bit of a crutch for people and they sort of they'll, they'll take certain things and then they'll go and do a good race and they'll say well geez that must have been that supplement i took when you know <laughs> they'll not look at the, the weeks and weeks of training they did and you know they'll not credit that they'll think well that must have been that specific supplement i took i really think that people are overdoing it with gels and carbohydrate supplementation and to me, it's intensity dependent. If you're not going fast enough to be burning the glycogen as, as a fuel, like if you're running it slower, you're not needing that same uh, supplementary fuel because you should be burning some of the fats that are already in your body. And if somebody is eating well in the days leading up to a marathon, they probably don't need to be taking in as much as they are assuming they will or that they have read that they will. Something that... I have been kind of thinking about with regards post-race recovery. Do you think that a successful race can hamper your recovery because of the celebrations? Yeah, I mean, again, of course it can. Look, and you know, again, bringing it back to say those those weeks of training you do, you know, whether whether you know whether you go out on a Sunday and do eighteen or twenty miles at a decent pace or somewhere close to a marathon pace, and then you come home and life takes over, and maybe the kids are there, and you have something to eat, and you eat like normal, and you go through the day, and you go to bed, and you get up on Monday and you train again. This that sort of cycle is is what your body gets gets really used to. So on the day of the marathon, you know, obviously, you're, or any race for that matter, you know, you're, you're, the intensity is raised. But really, you know, it's, 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 it's for a relatively controlled period of time in that your body has prepared for. So in terms of that recovery, if you go out then and say, you know, have a full day of eating and loads and loads of drinks and you sit still and don't move for a long period of time, then that's absolutely going to have an impact on your body because not only is it, you know, taking in, like you say, those maybe those extra calories, those, those extra extra sodium in, in the salt um, and, and obviously the alcohol that your body probably hasn't been used to so much because you probably haven't been taking as much of that and maybe as you previously had. And, you know, it, it's going to have a real, it, 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 it's going to have almost, a, you know, it's going to have a bit of a car crash effect on your body because your body is already... Is, you know, it, your body has said to you, you know, I've given you all this the last few weeks, and I've given you this 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 level of, of um, this level of ability to run. I'm going to have a little time to myself here to recover, and then all of a sudden you're going to go, well, no, I'm going to ask you to do a bit more here. <laughs> I'm going to bombard you with a few different things, and that will have essentially, you know, a hangover effect on your body, as you know, as well as a hangover effect maybe. And, and while it's important, of course. I'm speaking in a personal terms here, mark every occasion to mark finishing a marathon and, and to have an important, um, you know, to mark that milestone. You do have to remember that you are asking your body to do something completely different that, that you haven't really been preparing for. You're, in fact, you've probably done less damage to yourself doing the marathon than, than you might do afterwards. Yeah, and it is important anyway, to celebrate your achievement and mm. to have that downtime. But... If you aren't rehydrated before you head to the pub or getting in some proper nutrition, you are really going to feel the effects the next day. So although we're saying, yeah, it's okay to celebrate, but you're not going to be doing yourself any favours if you don't get something into you before you actually head off to do that celebrating. So it is important to kickstart the recovery process 
And I always like to say it's better to be looking at what you need rather than looking for it. Have it in your bag, even if, if you decide not to have it. But it's best to have it there. Don't be assuming that something will be available as you cross the finish line from somebody else. Some races they'll be handing stuff out, but it won't always be there and it's very, very easy to to miss something. What have you learned during those 10 years of training and racing that you have applied to this particular race? How did it all come together for this one? Yeah, well, I suppose that's that's, that's the question, isn't it? You know, I, I think over the years, you know, when it comes to the likes of Martin, you spend so long, see, putting it up on this pedestal, and you, you know, you sit, you think of the distance, and you think of ultimately the pace, and you start. It takes a long time to get used to that, I guess. You know, I mean, it may take a few years just ju- just to get to the, used to the fact that you know you're going to run for this period of time, and really, there's an awful lot of mental barriers that you need to push through, and you you do definitely get to a place where you, you find that a bit more comfortable, and I'd say there's there's this kind of learning curve, and um, where, where it takes a long time to really understand yourself and understand what your body needs. And like you mentioned earlier about the gels, I mean, I absolutely agree about that. I've got myself into a really good situation where I've, I've, I've kind of really focused on that, you know, that carbohydrate loading, that glycogen loading, and to the point now where I've actually realized that, you know, I actually only need, you know, maybe three gels at most, you know, during a marathon. Um, and, you know, any more, Actually, I went through a period of five or six marathons where I actually found that one of the major issues I had was, was, was you know, that fourth gel was, was, was actually causing me issues. So learning that, right, actually I need just the three gels, brilliant, okay. You can almost nail that down and say, right, that's one thing, I'll take that off. And there's other things as well, I guess, like, you know, in terms of shoes, there's such a fine balance nowadays with, you know, with the super shoes and the carbon shoes. And I guess, you know, I find as well that over the years, you really don't want to be using those shoes too much in training. You know, you want to be using something a bit more, I suppose, neutral, you might say, or something a bit, something a bit more, a bit more regular. And then, of course, when it comes into the marathon day, if that's something you want to use, you know, which I do, and I fully accept there are the benefits, then, then that's the time to use them and obviously get, get used to them as well in advance but use them and find the one that'll work for you. Don't necessarily look at that influencer or, or don't even necessarily look at, you know, the likes of Kipchoge who's using a very specific type of shoe. And then by the way, may very quickly move on to the next prototype shoe. And, you know, well, the rest of us are clambering for maybe a, a specific shoe, you know, there's, there's probably a reason why he's not, you know, like not using the ones that are, that are still available for everybody. And um, so taking those things into consideration, I, I kind of got myself to a decent level, you know. And like I said, there was there was a period there where I was I was sitting at around two thirty three or two thirty two thirty four for geez, a long time, many many marathons. And whether it was the build up of six or ten or twelve weeks, or maybe there was a period there where I was doing every two weeks I was doing a marathon just 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 to see. And it was amazing how I was still hitting these these times, these two thirty threes and two thirty fours. I think in the end, for me, a big part. Of, of what actually got me to that that goal of, of 229, this kind of you know lifetime achievement that I was looking for was, I thought like you know you know that old adage of if you keep doing the same thing you'll keep getting the same result. I sort of said to myself, well, you know I'm preparing marathon to marathon here, and you know I've got a really great coach with Gary O'Hanlon, and he's really made a really great plan, but just there's just something that isn't changing here. I think I worked out that I was getting very very comfortable running marathons, and I was getting very very comfortable 
running the distance and I almost got to the point where, you know, I felt like, oh, this is, this is great. This is my distance. But what I wasn't, what I had stopped doing was, was actually stop challenging myself and, and stop, you know, stop challenging myself with pace and with time. And, you know, I was getting very comfortable and I realized it had been many years, maybe three or four years, especially during, during COVID, where I haven't actually achieved, a, you know, a, a, a PB race in any other distance. So what I did, it was actually only about a year ago now, and I said, look, I'm going to reset this whole system, this whole cycle. I'm not just going to jump straight into another um, another marathon. I'm going to start from scratch, as it were. I'm going to start a 5K, you know, but the dreaded no, So just, just stop you there. When you say, okay, you're starting from yeah. scratch, if somebody's just coming out of Dublin Marathon, this is where they are now. Mm-hmm. So let's take them there. You're, so you're saying we started from 5K. So if someone's coming out of Dublin Marathon, how much time should they take off in okay. your book? How much time to take off completely? From, f- since since Sunday, how much time are you taking off before you go into this next cycle? Yeah. Okay. Well, I suppose John, one thing I would say is I, I think it's very important to get moving as early as possible. You know, uh, I, that saying you know motion is lotion is very is very appropriate to me, especially. And like that doesn't mean you need to go start running. You know, back into your plan immediately. And you know, it doesn't necessarily mean you even need to do any running. I think the first step is to start moving. So for anyone coming off Dublin and anyone who maybe thinks that, you know, yeah, okay, maybe I'll look towards next year. I see, I see the Dublin Marathon uh, entries are already out again. I think I think it's really important, the first step, is, is to start moving. So for me, for example, actually, I am yesterday was the, was the day, Monday was the day I, I actually went back and I did two miles very, very, very easy. And, you know, I started that run and I thought, look, yeah, we'll see how the body is here. We'll see how I get moving. And I just took a very, very easy jog. I put on some, put on a podcast and I just, I just jogged around. And I actually found afterwards I had a bit of tightness and that tightness felt much better after I finished. And today I did a little bit more. I did, I did, I actually did four miles and, you know, it's something, it's a bit of a detapering process, I guess. You're kind of reversing out of of the marathon similar to what you may have done last week and the week before that. So the importance for me is, is moving and getting going right away. So like that's something um, that I think it's really key. It's really key to anyone who's maybe got something in mind. And I think as well, there's, you know, the park run is, plays a really important key in, in, in the post-marathon and um, the post-marathon cycle because the parkrun this week, for example, or, this, or the next week, the Saturday, is traditionally the, the parkrun where everyone will turn up in their, their Dublin marathon tops and they'll all have a bit of chat and they'll all sort of experience that kind of 5K together and they'll warm up and then they'll do the run. And really, that that's a really, really important part, I find, in kind of moving into your next cycle or moving into what you're going to do next. And so I think that's a very beneficial time to take advantage of the parkrun. And to maybe start thinking, well, okay, look, what am I going to do next? And whether that's 5K, 10K, maybe you're eyeing up something in January, and maybe you've got your eye on the next marathon after that. I think that's a really important first step. Uh, as you mentioned the park run, I would just add that if somebody's planning on doing the park run next weekend, don't go about racing it. Don't be trying to get a 5K PB because there is some damage there that we might not be fully aware of. And if you test yourself a bit too much, you might actually hit that uh, breaking point. You have mentioned that 229 was kind of a lifetime achievement goal. 
was it that when you started out 10 years ago, I would be thinking that if you ran 322, that 229 might have seemed just too far out of reach. Yeah, yeah, no, I suppose you're absolutely right there. And I think, um, you know, I, I, I was chatting to uh, David Gillick a few days ago, and I, you know, he, he, he of course achieved his. He was he was training for a sub three, I think, wasn't and it? And sub three is a really really big target. I think four yeah. hours for a first marathon is a big milestone for a lot of people. And then for beginners, you will improve mm. very very quickly. So somebody is at the coming out of their their first marathon. Like there's someone actually sent in a message, Claudia Milena Rodriguez, and she she was asking when does improved performance stop? Forties, fifties, or beyond? And the answer to that is it kind of depends, depends on when you start. But if you've done your first marathon, and that's around four hours, if you train with a similar plan to what you did leading up to that, but because you have a bit more experience, a bit more knowledge, and change the paces to suit a faster race, the big improvements will happen for the beginners. But where you are now at the moment, it's probably still going to be an effort for you to even match that time again. The amount of work you'll have to do to improve on what you've just done is phenomenal, isn't it? It is, it absolutely is. And it's funny you mentioned that because all along this year, my goal was, of course, look at this dream goal was at 229 marathon. And I have actually signed up, um, I'm actually doing the Valencia marathon in, in, in four and a half weeks. And the goal really was, you know, on Sunday to do the double marathon, to go and say, look, I'm going to go and I'm going to maybe do 20 miles a marathon pace and maybe for the last six, then I'll take it back a bit and use that as a training one. And the goal then, of course, was to go to Valencia, which is a very popular marathon to do, and go... Is that giving yourself a get-out-of-jail-free card? Mm. Like, is that kind of giving you an out if you start to feel like you're suffering a bit? Yeah, I guess so, when you look like that, it is. But actually what happened was, I think maybe it kind of worked the opposite way in that it gave me a get-out-of-jail excuse to people to say, oh, no, I'm not going to go for that today, that's Valencia. And then, of course, you know, in the back of your head, when you do that, when you do, you hit 20 miles in Dublin, say, you know what, I think I'm going to go on here and push and try this. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think I think all runners, you know, I, ne- never never trust a runner when they tell you what their goal is in, in a race, you know. They'll, they'll look at you dead in the eye and say, no, no, my, my goal is absolutely three hours ten. And, I, and that's my, you know, my goal's medal goal. And secretly, of course, there, you know, I think everyone, Hopes beyond hope. Sometimes it's something will will come out of the bag, but and look, and look very often it does. And um, but so that was my that was what I was booked into, and that's what I'm still doing. So that kind of moves on to that point about you know what what next. And you said about even maintaining that 229. So now in now in four and a half weeks, I'm I'm going to Valencia, and it's like right, I, I, it's two days later after Dublin, and I'm sort of looking at myself going, he's what you know. In terms of goal setting, this is a, this is this is quickly approaching, and I'm going to have to start thinking. You know, a how is my body? B and how is my mind? And I suppose we haven't really even touched on that, the, the the mental side of things of finishing a marathon and, and moving on. But I'm you know I'm right in that area at the minute, going well. What am I going to do here? I mean, you know, like you say, it's you're not I'm not really in that zone anymore where quick gains and low hanging fruit is, is is available to me. It, it's really about you know, do I do do I ease off and just 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 you know, I suppose take it as it comes, or do I go? You know, wouldn't it be great to do that sort of time again? So that's that's I guess that's a real interesting question for me at the minute. Yes, and I think the confidence is there now, and mm. 
that might make you push hard or, or push maybe too hard on the day. And I think there's very few people who can do back-to-back marathons like that. There are guys who are running marathons every week, but they're doing them at a very, very manageable pace. But if you're going out trying to perform an age marathon, there's very, very few people that can do that. One of the few would be Gary O'Hanlon. He's kind of famous for that. But not many people can knock them out that close together at that intensity. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it, it's, it's definitely... See, you're, you're hanging around with the wrong people. That's what's, <laughs> that's what's happening well, that, to you there. <laughs> I think so. Um, yeah, absolutely. There's, I'm not complaining that I'm in the situation where I've kind of achieved my, my yearly goal, you know, at this point. And I suppose the problem is you've, when you've committed to flights and, and, and a marathon entry. <laughs> yeah, but it's, also, it's also good that you're finishing a really tough marathon and still have that hunger there that it hasn't depleted your your mental reserves that you haven't emptied yourself coming over the finish line that you know that there is yeah. still something there and as you know a lot yeah. of times it's it's the mind that I can give up because of the amount of concentration that's involved yeah. with holding that pace for that distance like if you lose your con- if you're going for the pace or that if you lose your concentration mm-hmm. you go too fast in the beginning yeah. and then you won't be hold on to the the pace later on the race and then you end up going too slow so it's, it is a lot of effort and you don't have the benefit of having pacers at that kind of a, a time because anybody who's running under 240 is racing. They're looking for a position. Yeah, no, You've exactly. No, you, you don't have any friends at that pace. <laughs> that's, yes, that, that, that's it. And like, it, it, it's interesting because there was obviously a group of us in and around the 230 mark. And I actually think, you know, the, uh, Dublin and, and the Irish running marathon scene at the minute has a really good bunch of guys who are in and around that kind of, I suppose you'd call the, the sub-elite level, who are kind of knocking around at that 230 or sub-230. And they're all a really good bunch. But like you say, I mean, with the best intentions, you know, there comes a point where, you know, you're not going to, no group of people, no, I don't care how talented they are, you know, are going to be aiming for sub-230 and are going to be be able to essentially hold together, you know, in a strong, constant way, all the way to obtain that goal. Like it, it's gonna, it's gonna break up, it's gonna get messy, and there'll definitely be a every man for himself point in that race. So absolutely, and I actually think Dublin, you know, people, people have this kind of strange relationship with Dublin, or especially the Irish runner, where people will, will be very quick to say that like, Dublin's not an easy race. You know, it has these hills and those hills, and you know that that kind of twenty mile twenty two hill UCD and. You know, but but actually, I think there's a, there's a certain amount of, of of that kind of home home ground feeling in, in Dublin, where I don't know whether it's the runners around you or maybe it's the home crowd, but there's definitely something I think which gives you that a bit more of a competitive drive or an edge. And I, I've done lots of um, marathons around you know around Europe or even around the world, and you don't get that same feeling when you're out there on your own, you know, in the streets of whatever, Boston or, or London, you kind of get that kind of anonymity where you think, look, if I do slow down a bit, you know, so what? No one, I don't know anyone here. I don't know the crowd. So, you know, you don't get that, that feeling that, that pushes you along quite as much as you do in Dublin. And strangely, as you mentioned, a group of guys who are all in around the 2.30, a lot of those guys seem to be steering towards ultra running, same as yourself. Mm-hmm. So there's Michael Fox, Ian Fitzgerald, Wayne Waldron, Peter Thompson, to name a few, they've all ran 100k, 50k, and you've done some 100k races and 50k races, and you've done the 100k in that period where you were sitting between 233 and the 229. What has kind of steered you towards the ultra running, and do you think that has helped in any way, or has it maybe prevented you from getting the 229? 
Yeah, well, that's yeah, some really interesting questions there. I think, and look, I, I don't want to be speaking for those guys you just mentioned, but I definitely think there's there, there's something, you know, when, when you maybe come to running a little bit later on in your life, when I say later on, maybe I mean in your 20s, you know, as opposed to the, the typical kind of, you know, the hardcore runner, the, the likes of Gary O'Hallon, who's, you know, doing 1500s and 1800-meter races in their teens, the kind of guys that they start with the 10Ks and they do the halves and, Maybe they, they do a marathon eventually, and they sort of think to themselves, you know, I have a bit of skill here, and I'm not quite sure what it is, and you know, I wasn't. But people like people like me and and, and these guys we mentioned, they're, they're sort of trying to find their own way through, and that they look at the ultra, and you know, they don't have this kind of traditional, maybe purist outlook on races where they say, oh no, like that's you know, ultras. It's crazy. Why would you do that? There's much more of a more of an ability and, and a desire to try everything, and maybe to try maybe more race specific things or, or very niche, I guess, things that that are you know may suit them better. And I find like again like a lot of those guys like myself, there, there's a certain level of endurance that comes in, and it's like you say, well, I can definitely do half, and I can definitely do a full, and look, 50K, you know, it's just a little bit further. And like 100K, well, like, you know, why not? You know, what, what's stopping me? You know, it, it's, it's, it's something I'm going to try. And it, 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 I think there's, there's certainly a generation there that like to say, well, I'm, if it's there, I'm going to do it. And, if, and, and you know what? There's actually maybe, I think, a bit of a pull of the fact that it's much more of a niche distance with, with sort of a, you know, a smaller pool of very dedicated, very, very high-level runners and you know i want to be part of that because it's you know it's almost like a bit of a home for someone that's kind of finding their feet and running because there's a bit more of a community there and there's no denying the ultra running community in ireland especially is is is, is, it is like a family you know everyone everyone's very 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 friendly it's you know it's it's somewhere that's very appealing and if if you do if you do have the the interest in it it's definitely something worth having a go with me and it's funny, um, I think it was 2020, and you mentioned the two uh, Anglo-Celtic plates there. I represented Ireland, and the, the very first one, the forgotten one, that I applied for, of course, was, was, was 2020. And I think that was supposed to be in, uh, I think it was supposed to be in England, wasn't it? Well, um, the, for, for, yeah. that, for that first one, I can remember meeting you in the grounds yeah. of Malahide Castle. I was looking for a suitable venue to host the race, and you were showing me around Malahide Castle and we had a, f- a few reps come over from, from England to have a look at the course as well. And then, of course, yeah. it was cancelled because of the COVID restrictions. And then by the time I got around to actually hosting the race, it was held in mm. Mondello Park. Yeah, yeah. So that's very interesting. So that, that was, you know, obviously it was pre-COVID when I, I saw that opportunity arose and thought, you know what, you know, I, I've done a few 50Ks and, and I, I actually signed up for the uh, the Northern Ireland 100K Championships at that point, which were to happen in, I think, were happening in June of that year. Um, so I thought, look, this is a great opportunity to do this. And then, of course, COVID happened and that, 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 that race essentially fell away. Um, in in the meantime, of course, I was in the middle of this, this, this quest for, you know, maybe to improve my marathon times. And, there's certainly something to be to be gained from running ultra marathons in the pursuit of a faster marathon time. And I, I said I said to people before, you know, I actually think, you know, sometimes ultra ultra running, it, it, if anything, it teaches you how to suffer. You know, it teaches you it teaches you mentally how to how to how to get yourself focused. 
and then maybe teaches you mentally. In some essences, ultra running could be could be considered almost a form of meditation, you know, because really there's nowhere to hide. You know, you're you're out there, you're with yourself for a long time, and in the training as well. I think there's an awful lot to gain there. Um, but when it, when I started to mix the two of them, ultra running, especially 100k, it, it takes an awful lot of dedication um, and it takes an awful lot of effort. So I don't, I think I found that I wasn't really able to mix the two of them. And while I was still hitting those, you know, 233, 234 marathon marks, it really took me until the start of this year to say, look, it, this is going to be <laughs> a difficult decision for me to make, but I'm not going to apply to run the Anglican Cup this year. What I'm actually going to do is literally do that build up to a marathon from a 5k to a five mile to a 10k to a 10 mile to a half marathon i just wanted to give it essentially give it give it that kind of that that traditional build up and um, really from a from a from a, a form of confidence building as well as achieving maybe a pb slightly changing my approach and not saying look I, I approached in sort of shorter faster and shorter faster and building up that that, that, that ability and um, I guess more of that anaerobic you know strength to really to really push at that kind of up to half marathon level giving me a bit more confidence dropping that time and then saying you know what actually I'm going to draw on, on all sorts of experience here including the likes of the ultra running to really focus in on that, that marathon distance and really bring it all together and I really think it was a combination of all those things which eventually then got me to that point where I said you know what that 229 was achievable well, to talk about the crossover between ultra running and marathon running, there's a British long distance runner called Steve Way, and he's the British 100 kilometre record holder. He ran a time of 6 hours, 19 minutes, and 20 seconds. He was trying to break 217 for quite a few years, and it wasn't happening for him. He was always running around 220. And it was after he started running the 100k that he actually achieved his, his target of 217 and he, he qualified for the Commonwealth Games and he has gone on to do quite well in the Comrades which is you know, one of the biggest ultra distance races in the world ultra marathons in the world so if anybody's listening in he's an interesting character doing a Google search on, on Steve Way he was drinker, smoker he was uh, weighed over 100 kilos and wow. he got himself the book Advanced Marathoning I think he he followed the plan that was in that and he got himself to a three-hour marathon and he he just kept going and it's an incredible story. Yeah. Have you heard of his name? Have you, Steve Way? Yeah, yeah, no, I have, yeah. I have yeah. Absolutely. So that's um, that's where he kind of came from. And it's funny you mention his, 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 his name and his background because, like, that is such, you know, and I suppose just, just to mention, you you know, the, the ultra-running world, I mean, that, that that's not an uncommon story. No, it's not. It's not a, but, and it also ties into what you were saying about starting a bit later. And that's what, going back to Claudia's question, when does improved performance stop? And I've heard it said, and it kind of makes sense because I've seen some kind of proof of this, that from the time you start your serious training, that you have up to uh, maybe a bit over 10 years of improvement time and you know that's when you're actually training like working hard and trying to Im- improve your performance with each race to actually put the effort into following a training cycle yeah. and, and yeah. working hard at that and I think if somebody is looking to improve the performance it is advisable to be following a plan there's plenty of plans out there you don't need to be going to a coach or whatever you can follow especially if you're a beginner a beginner is going to improve with whatever they do and once you're going to get moving and follow some bit of structure 
and the most gains come from those that have have kind of come just come into the sport they're the ones that are going to improve and as you get further into it like you are the law of diminishing returns kicks in you have to put in a hell of a lot more effort in for the smaller gains and as you mentioned when we were chatting I think the best thing anyone can do to improve the performance is to join a club yeah yeah look absolutely and you know what like you know age is a wonderful thing for 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 how you know changing i guess improvements changing you know as well in terms of how well you do compared to other runners i suppose is what i'm trying to say you know like those i i know runners as well who you know in the club especially as you mentioned maybe in their 30s and 40s are kind of just running along and they'll get that notion in their 50s and they'll say you know what as a as, as a male or female 50 year old runner i'm actually you know all of a sudden very very you know very very good and I'm actually you know I, I, I'm coming up the age categories here because all of a sudden I'm starting to put the effort in and actually I'm starting to get medals people in their 50s you know and, and their 40s getting you know whether it's provincial medals even national medals at their level and like those people aren't necessarily you know I'd, I'd absolutely you know smashing their temple runs and, and, and every week and, and doing all this you know intense ultra elite or you know type of training they're just being consistent and they're making those gains slowly and consistently and they're finding their they're they're, they're really finding their they're making their they're finding their niche and and, and their their, uh, their performance later on and if you join um, a club you have access to all those races that you that you just mentioned and yeah. as we as you're talking about the age profile as well you you probably know where uh, Sorka Loknan yes of yeah. course yeah, so yeah, yeah so Sorka ran in the Andrew Celtic plate 2021 that she discovered then that 100 kilometer isn't her thing but she started fairly late in life with, with regards to running and she finished third in the national championships yeah. this year and that wasn't her pb but last year or the year before last she ran the world's best performance for 50k for over 45s yeah, so phenomenal. that shows that what can be doing, and with the age age grading with these races as well, it shows that you you can make continuous improvement. And when you get to a certain age, when it becomes an effort to maybe hold on to what you have rather than just improving, that in itself is still an improvement because you're slowing down the rate at which your body is depreciating. You're you're actually holding back the years. That's it. And look, all, all those elite runners in their thirties, you know, who are you're out there doing the super fast times. They all, you know, they all get old and injured and give up. So you just hang in there long enough. You'll, you'll start. Uh, you'll, you'll start finding your position. <laughs> and I'm not sure if you noticed. You were probably going home, but uh, one of the runners in the marathon this year, Mary Nolan Hickey, 71 years of age, and she has ran every single Dublin marathon. And she wow. passed me around the ten and a half mile mark where I was supporting. And she was out. She was running away and big smile on the face and she had the same smile any time I've seen a photograph for during it. So she is somebody who is proof that this movement is is medicine and there's something that actually helps keep you young and fit. There was another question that came in from Emma Stone. She said that she had just done her first marathon and feels that her body is broken. What's the best way to build the body for next year? Before I get let you answer, I'm guessing that she is having the classic problem of finding it hard to walk up the stairs or, you know, you're having to walk down the stairs backwards. And that's because she has ran further than she has ever ran. Like her longest run was probably around 30 kilometers, 32 kilometers. And then she had to add on that bit extra. So it's a big chunk to be adding on. 
whereby if you're doing a regular training plan, you would never increase the distance of your long run by six to ten kilometers. You do smaller increments. So she's probably feeling the effects of that extra distance. But I think with somebody who allows himself to rest, recover, is fueling themselves properly, that's going to have it will actually have a stronger body with which to which to build on. And the problem that causes you to have issues walking up and down the stairs is your hip flexors have done so much work that they're kind of seized, but they will improve if you look after them over the next couple of days and weeks. Now, what what do you think? Yeah, look, absolutely. I mean, look, isn't it a great thing to be able to finish and then say afterwards, you know, I'm, I'm in bits, you know, what, how much would you have given before that first marathon to get to the point where you're now finished and you're you're able to say, I'm, I'm in bits. Like, it's really, really, it's really, really impressive. And I always think that first marathon is it's such a big achievement. And like, just remember about, you know, why the muscles are sore, you know, your muscles have, have been have been broken down, like you say, and with that with that with that rest and recovery and maybe a bit of bit of light gentle movement, uh, you know, in, in the days to come, you'll actually. I mean, it's not like you do the marathon and your body just suddenly breaks down and you need to start from scratch again. You know, your your your, your body actually still thinks you're in some sort of training cycle and it, it's doing its best to, to 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 recover and build up. So. I would say, like, it sounds like that. Um, the person asked the question has has the bug anyway for, for the next year's marathon. I would say, look, yes, that's actually a good point, yeah. and that's actually the ideal way to come out of a marathon yeah. and to start the next cycle, isn't it? Yeah, like, like I'd say, have a bit of fun, you know, like sign up to a, you know, sign up to one of the like the Christmas cracker five k's or or you know go go along to the park on a bit more and just kind of. Start, just just start to get running in you know into your everyday everyday I suppose life and maybe sign up for something a bit more a bit more relaxed and a bit more easy and early in the new year just to try and keep that routine going and really what you're doing is you're building up that ability for the body to endure a bit more and like you know you'll, you might find that you naturally start increasing maybe you'll find that you you know you quite enjoy maybe a 10k or maybe you'll find that you you know you can focus on getting improving that sort of time and that's something I, I personally find you know after after a tough set of marathons i thought you know what i'm going to do a few 5k's i'm going to do them you know you know in the phoenix park i'm going to go to maybe maybe do a nice easy trail run and i'm going to just find a way to just i guess you know make sure you're falling in love with running in the right way and then you can start to think you know as the year progresses maybe you'll find you you might do a half marathon or two maybe you've done that in this build-up or maybe not maybe you find that that's something you might want to pencil in and like you mentioned earlier about a, a decent training plan online you find that maybe 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 they'll pencil in a few few half marathons, and that's something you can really focus on. You could you could do it as part of a club or with your friends, and you really just find that you're naturally building up this endurance, and then all of a sudden you're back in the next year's Dublin 12 week training plan or, or 16 week training plan, and all of a sudden you you're actually finding that you're you're not suffering as much, and you're, you're maybe you're, you start to think to yourself, well, like maybe I'll take five minutes off that last time, or maybe I'll, I'll go for the next piece or group next year. And really, that's you know that's that's a slippery slope into into doing the double marathon every year. I'm afraid, and you probably find that 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 might start to happen. Yes, indeed. And just to add to that as well, you should feel kind of broken and exhausted when you cross the finish line of the race. Now, not injured, but just that your legs are can't do anything more. At the start of the race, you should be at your strongest, your fittest and ready to take on the distance. So you don't get fit while you're running a marathon. You lose fitness. If you were getting fit while you were doing it, your pace would be increasing all the way to the end and you would have the sprint finish and you could keep going. So you're losing fitness as you're going along it. But 
it's also a catalyst for you to get fitter and to get stronger. So the race is you stressing your body and then you rest the body and then the body adapts once you're giving it the raw materials with which to rebuild and grow. And it's important to mention that the marathon isn't just one day. The marathon is the reason why you have done this 16-week cycle or 12-week cycle. And because you were doing that training cycle, you have also made some other adjustments to your lifestyle. You might have started to go to bed a little bit earlier at the weekends because of your long run. It might have stopped you from going to the pub on a Saturday night because you have your long run the next morning. So all those little lifestyle changes are a byproduct of you training to do the marathon. There's all those little things that you might not realise that have been happening along the way. It's like the marathon is the exam and everything you've done leading up to it is the study. And even if you feel like you failed the exam, you still have all that benefit from the training that you have been doing leading up to it. Now, when I say if you fail the exam, some people might not be able to race because they're sick or they're injured or whatever. Now, actually, I'm going to just deflect now here when I talk about injury you shouldn't really get injured people are starting to accept getting injured as being part of the training cycle and I'm seeing a lot of coaches as well talking about being injured and stress fractures and whatever you have to do the training and the training has to be progressive this is a problem with Instagram people are training too hard and they're doing high intensity training to show it off on Instagram and it's just a lot of it I know is just for show you have to do the training so you can do the training and that means that with running, if you're only doing two or three sessions a week, it's very, very easy to overtrain because chances are those three sessions are all going to be hard because you will perceive your training as needing to be hard. But a lot of your training needs to be easy. And that's the bit that gets left out. So you need to be run. You need to be putting the work in or else you're going to get found out on the day or you'll be found out before the day. Getting a stress fracture uh, some people self-diagnose, is not a badge of honour, nothing to be proud of. And it doesn't show that you're training hard. It shows that you're probably not training hard enough by doing the correct volume of training that you need to be doing. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. And like you mentioned Instagram there, and I suppose like Alexa Strava is the same. And, like, and I use Strava, I, I think it's great. And I, I sort of use it as a personal log of my runs and that. But like it, you know, it's very easy to see it and go, God, like I, I don't want people to think, you know, my entire run was 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 easy because that middle section was hard, and, and the rest was easy. And you, you know, you really do have to realize that you know, sometimes just because maybe it doesn't go on Strava, you know, it does actually it does actually still count. You know, or just because you know you you you're doing a decent warm up and, and a nice cool down, it doesn't doesn't take away from 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 the gains you're actually getting. You know, so again, all these things obviously to be careful of, and you know, just just to keep things simple. Now, I have another question that's come in from Sean Meehan. Now, Sean is an accomplished ultra runner. He finished second in the Caribbean Ultra there recently. He does a lot of 50Ks, 100Ks, and he was running the marathon there at the weekend. I think he was going for a sub-tree. And he wants to know what's the difference in your in your weekly distance, maybe leading up to the marathon, and then what it will be when you're kind of coming out of the marathon. And I'm thinking about that is you taper into the marathon, are you tapering back out? I know I'm yeah. also thinking that there's probably two kind of answers to his question because he's probably thinking of this with a future performance in mind, and he's probably also wondering how did your training volume change from when you did your first marathon to what you're doing now yeah 
I was talking to Sean yeah. at the expo on Saturday and I know that he's looking to improve at the marathon and the 50k. Yeah, I mean, a really interesting question. And, you know, like uh, something that you'll definitely have, have, have a lot of um, info on as well, John. But like a funny thing about my my, um, my my training load, like, and it just kind of goes back to what you mentioned about doing the right type of sessions. Like I, you know, for the, for the time I'm running, you know, say to say two twenty nine. Like my my training load is 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 considerably less than, than most people I would know to doing the training in and around that area. And I I always feel like you know you're constantly comparing yourself to, to, to people in and around your kind of ability. And you know you're, it doesn't matter what 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 speed or distance or, or performance you're doing. But like I I would peak generally at around. You know, and I do, I do it in miles now, so apologies, but you know, seventy to eighty miles, and now that would be something I would maintain for maybe you know week six to maybe week say ten of a twelve week training cycle for a marathon. But I very rarely, I mean, I, I think in that session, in that twelve week session, there I, I maybe went up to eighty five miles in a week. But really, it was the, it was the specific sessions. I found, you know, changing those to, to, you know, upping the tempo, having lots more, you know, easy runs and, and what, you know, what, what's known as zone two runs in terms of heart rate. They were the two things that made a really big difference. And it's funny, and to go off slightly target, but back when I did, I mentioned that Northern Ireland 100K that I did a few years ago, I actually, um, I reached out to, to, to Camille Heron for a training plan for that one. And, you know, it was a 100K training cycle, um, 100K race training cycle. And it amazed me right away, you know, again, how, how, how little or how, how low the mileage was for what I what was going to be my first ever 100K. And, you know, that worked, that, that, that training cycle worked really well for me. And we had a bit of a conversation about it and she put it together and it was really, really good. And it was sort of very you know, good quality. I know she's keen on sort of, you know, rather than just do a massive run, it's like a, maybe maybe a double run in the morning and the evening, um, and really I think it's finding that kind of specific um, session that suits you, um, and then mix, mixing that in with just a good solid training base, you know, of, of consistency. And I always find that that was that was when I when I excelled, you know, when I got better or something was was consistency week after week. And what I find, rather than just upping loads and loads of miles. I find my benefits came from from not missing a session, so it was really just instead of saying, "Well, look, I can miss one session a week," to actually saying, "No, look, what's important for me is to hit every session, not so much to do loads and loads and loads and loads of miles." And you know, the gains come from come from within in, within that plan. Um, and and I guess that's so. I guess to answer that question, it it it, it wasn't you know I wasn't doing 100 mile weeks. I've actually never ever done a 100 mile week in my in my life. <laughs> And so some people think maybe they have to do that to make a big jump on a marathon or, or, or not. Or maybe, like you say, exactly like you say, John, there's loads of people out there on social media. And by the way, lots of people are doing it, you know, for absolutely the right reasons. But, but I find that, you know, I even hear of these elite athletes, you know, in, you know, winning, um, you know, winning, um, I think it was, was it Chicago, you know, doing unbelievable kilometers and mileage. Um, you know, in their twenties, and you're just thinking, like, I don't know how that person's gonna <laughs> keep that going forever. So yeah, quality over quantity for me. Yes, the age profile of marathon runners has uh, 
has got younger. And the same is happening now with ultra runners. And as you mentioned, Camille Heron, I did an earlier podcast with Camille. So if anybody wants to listen in on that, Camille is a multiple world record holder at ultra distances. And she most recently set the 48-hour world record. Now, I don't mind talking about ultra running too much as part of this marathon discussion, as there is a lot that can be learned from ultra runners. They're longer distances, but it's an easier pace. Same with the training that the reps, you might do, say, long intervals that would be a slower pace rather than traditionally what you might do for a marathon or half marathon where the reps are shorter but they are more intense. The more intense the running, the greater the risk of injury because you're you're striking the ground harder. So using some of the principles that apply to ultra running can actually be beneficial to your marathon training. Ultra running is kind of a, a buzzword now at the moment and a lot of people try to use it in an egotistical way, calling themselves ultra runners, but it's just another another branch of the sport. And as you mentioned with Camille, She's not talking about doing huge distances. She's very clinical about what she does. I think she uses some of her own research to apply her her knowledge to the actual uh, training. Has your volume of training changed much since your first marathon, your 322? Yeah, look, I mean, it, it, it has. And it, I suppose, look, it, it has. And it's been, it's been relative, you know, relative to the point where, I guess, when you do your first marathon, Often, you know, while it was with a club, you're really just jumping in with the sessions and there was no real personal plan. It wasn't something I did. I just sort of thought, you know, a marathon might be good. So as as, as I find, you know, I think I was probably doing around, you know, 30 or 35 miles a week. And back then over the course of probably four, yeah, four sessions a week. And that was enough. To, to get me around and, and like 3.22 is, is an absolutely great time a phenomenal time and like I think it was those kind of early marathons when I thought you know when it comes to finding my position here I, I actually you know it seems to be something I'm you know I, I'm enjoying a bit more and I'm, I feel comfortable at and, I'm, and I'm, I'm you know relatively good at for you know for the effort I'm putting in so it, it was really focusing then on, on on upping mileage slightly that that made those early gains, you know, that made me kind of kind of take off a few minutes and then a bit more and a bit more, and then I think after a few years I sort of I, I looked at thinking, well, okay, maybe I need to improve intensity from that point. But really, in the early days, it was just the simple act of doing, you know, maybe going out and doing five days a week, you know, where I'm not in, I'm not doing five days a week of intensity. I'm not doing five week, days a week of you know, in one mile reps, I'm really just keeping that to two and I'm just slowly upping the miles and I'm just building that kind of core endurance. And that, that was that was that was definitely the key to those that those early gains. And I think and you like you said already, it, it, it's very easy to make those initial gains. And you know, and whether it's you you're going from five hours to four hours or maybe you're trying to get under four hours or there's there's definitely great opportunities there. Yes, I have to agree with that. Gains will come from just adding a little bit of extra volume. So maybe adding an extra day's training, uh, but doing that easy, keeping the training easy. Now, would you bother with a post-race massage? And if yes, when would you wait until... Yeah, so I think it's important. Like I, I often see, you know, sometimes you, you cross finish lines in some some races, and they, they, I think it's, uh, you know, I think it was a, it was the Dublin Half Marathon there that you know they had a massage tent, and I remember thinking, like God, I you know I I, I ran so 
too hard there that the last thing I want is someone really getting there uh, you know definitely I, I'd steer yeah. well clear to that just after a race your body is <laughs> damaged then, enough yeah yeah like it, I think really for me you know and again this is from someone who does it you know does does it more often I mean it's three days four days minimum before you really stop getting that kind of tenderness in the muscles that you know with, with those days after that, with that muscle is that you know that that delayed onset muscle soreness. You know it, it it's coming from the breakdown of of your muscles, and the fact that you know many 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 micro tears that are that are that are really very very sore and very very tender. And yeah, do some stretching, do some maybe light walking or light jogging if you feel you're up for it. But you don't want anyone to do a deep tissue massage. I mean, you're talking at least you know four to five days afterwards before you really get any kind of soft tissue massage. And then really what you'll find is you'll probably find you'll tighten up. I actually find what would happen sort of four or five days after my, you know, maybe more intense marathons was I'd start to get like almost like a less restless leg kind of feeling in bed, you know, in, in the evenings or in the mornings and you think I need to stretch that or feeling like I need to do that. And that to me is a trigger to say, well, look, maybe from this point onwards, I'll maybe go and I'll get a bit of a, a massage done on that just to kind of loosen up and to kind of let the, let, let, let the body relax a little bit. And just to add to what you said there about the delayed onset muscle soreness, if you haven't heard of that before, you might be familiar with the term the DOMS, and that's what that means. And the reason why it's called delayed onset is because it can take 24 to 48 hours to actually make itself known. It takes the body kind of that period of time before it regains homeostasis that the muscles are starting to settle down again. And that's when the kind of damage is known the body can actually feel the actual uh, damage that has been done during the race. Would you bother with an ice bath or do you believe in them? To be honest, John, I, I suppose it's not something I've really had the luxury <laughs> to do. Um, it's not something I've really had the time to do either. Um, I, I, I've read plenty about it and I've heard, I've heard certain elite marathoners, you know, everything from the fact that, you know, maybe they would use them regularly some would use them only maybe maybe a few days after. And actually, I've heard of people, you know, um, I think actually Stephen Scullion, who was, who was the Irish national champion there in the marathon, you know, he, he spoke before about he had cold, a cold shower, you know, a very intense cold shower, you know, as soon as, as close as possible to the start of the race. Um, you know, for, for maybe, I'm guessing, some sort of cold therapy, you know, um, well, I, I think there, yeah, I think there'd be a difference with the cold shower in that it might in a way, wake you up. But with the cold bath, mm-hmm. it's it's something that I wouldn't really recommend. Yeah. Now, I'll also say it depends. If you're, after completing your marathon and you have those aches and pains in, in your legs and that is a catalyst for an adaption for your legs to uh, repair it up bit stronger. So your body has to go through that natural process of inflammation and growth and regeneration if you put yourself into an ice bath you're kind of removing some of that inflammation it's like an artificial form of recovery so you're speeding up the recovery so you could be missing some of what you have tried to gain and i think the same thing can happen when you mentioned the uh, super shoes earlier not to use in jordan training if you're wearing in jordan training because i've heard someone mention that your legs don't feel as bet up after you've done a training mm-hmm. session with them. And that's because you're not getting that damage to the muscle, which you're, which you're trying to induce 
by doing a hard training session. So you're not giving yourself that catalyst for recovery. It, it becomes that you're dependent on the shoes. Now, some marathon runners, yes, they will be taking uh, ice baths regularly. And I think part of the reason for that is that they're looking to get their legs to recover quick enough to allow themselves to go back training again so they can work on their fitness, not so much their strength, but their fitness. So if your legs aren't able to move again, you're not able to work the heart and lungs in the same way. So I think that in that respect, it might be beneficial. If somebody was doing an event that might be multi-marathons, 10 marathons in 10 days, they'll benefit from using an ice bath because they're not looking to have maybe a long-term gain in performance. They're looking at getting themselves ready to go again the next day and the next day and the next day. So they're always having to think that. So they're trying to avoid that damage that is the catalyst for improvement rather than embrace it. So that would be my thinking on it from what I've read and seeing how it's employed in different ways. Like you can read, like what you say, you read these marathon runners are doing it, someone else isn't doing it and they're both right. But you have to look at it in context. Yeah, it, there's, I mean, there's a lot out there, isn't there? I, I mean, look, I, I find it very difficult myself, even, you know, and I think with the with the advent of, you know, quite cheap versions of products from like Amazon as well. It, it, I mean, you can buy a, a, a pair of, you know, full leg, compression leggings, you know, plugging in, in, into the wall and, and you know, for, for, you know, 40, 50 euro these days, you can buy, you know, those, um, you know, that cupping, sort of like a, a suction cupping for cupping, you know, um, recovery for, for 10, 15 euro on Amazon. And I find there's, there's an off, if you if you really, really went down that rabbit hole, it can be an awful confusing world to get into. Yeah, hacks and shortcuts. And at the end of the day, you know, you really have to get out there and do the work. Yeah. AI is not going to nope. do your 800s or your kilometre repeats for you. You have to get the, the, there's no substitute for actually getting out and doing the work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and you mentioned about the super shoe, you know, like yeah, I, I mean, I I absolutely find that you know I, I very much veer away from using any 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 sort of you know any sp- special foam or any carbon plates for, for 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 the majority of my sessions because you know you really while 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 you don't really notice it when you're not doing it, you obviously you maybe notice in your times. When you do then put that shoe on, you know, you get that, you get you really do get that benefit. And like people people do that for things like caffeine as well. They might cut that out and then they'll, they'll have a caffeine gel and maybe they'll say, look, they feel that benefit a bit more. So I suppose it's finding your own, finding your own way. Right. I think we, we've talked through a lot there. We're a little bit over an hour. Uh, can you think of anything else to finish up on before I, I let you go? Yeah, I, I suppose one thing maybe John we could mention is maybe the, uh, the I guess the the, the, uh, the the mental come down after a marathon. Oh yes. Now it doesn't I sound to me all. like you have that. I, I definitely do. I mean, you know, like I, so I suppose I suppose in terms of come recovery after a marathon, you know, I always find that you know there's almost an awful lot documented about you know the walking downstairs backwards and the uh, you know the the dons and all these recovery. Like I almost find, you know, I remember doing my first set double marathon, and and finding like just wondering, like, I wonder why I'm quite down today, you know? Like, is it the fact the clocks have changed, and, and all of a sudden I realised it's essentially winter? What, like, what, what is it going on? And like, it almost becomes a bit of a joke in our house at the minute with my wife and the, you know, and the kids, where 
it's like, oh, you know, Daddy's done his, you know, his, his marathon, you know, his, his double marathon. You know, he's, he's going to have a few moments, to, you know, over the next couple of days. But, but it's really, really, I mean, a very, very real thing. It's the post race blues. Yeah, that's it, the push race blues, and you know. <laughs> Like you hear of people, you know, a famous, you know, stereotype of people signing up immediately after a marathon for another marathon, and I think a lot of that is is linked to that to that same feeling of, you know, you know, they're, they're sort of they're feeling that, that that maybe maybe they got that high and they think, well, what's next? What could I possibly do next? Or maybe they didn't, and they're looking for that that chance to to fix the, you know, to fix their you know their failures, and the fact that you know just a large exertion any big exertion you know whether it's a marathon or or you know back to mention an ultra you know any it's going to have a massive chemical imbalance on the body and that's definitely going to throw you and so like that mitigating that is, is actually i think key to good recovery also yes and i'm glad you mentioned this because it's something that you have to practice and prepare for because if you look at maybe a marathon training cycle like we mentioned there of 16 weeks so it's if you can visualize a funnel, okay, so you have the top part of the funnel and at the very, very top of the funnel, which is like an upside down triangle, that's when you started your training cycle. So that that's back at week 16. And as you get closer to the start of the race, which is at the neck of the funnel, so the funnel is starting to get narrow and narrow. And then the start line of the race is at the narrow part of the funnel, just as it starts to go down through that tube. And then you run the race and then you come out at the end of the funnel and that's it. It's, it's empty. You've nothing else after that. And all, all that you've, you've done over those 16 weeks has been leading up to this moment. And then you're thinking, what next? I don't have that same focus. I have a lot of free time. I don't, I don't have my usual routine. So it is important to have something else to look forward to, like what you've done with Valencia. But you also need to be careful that you're not using what you're going to do next as a way of stopping yourself from suffering and digging deep during the race, turning what you're doing into a training run. Uh, I'll save myself for the, for the next race because you might not have the same experience at the next race. It happened to me when I did my first big race, the Martin de Saab, which I was over a year training for and researching. So there's a lot of work went into getting to that start line. Then I got to the finish line and there wasn't even somebody there to say, well done, you're, you're great. Yeah. And there was that feeling of emptiness. Been, and didn't even want to... It must have been that feeling. Yeah, it, it was incredible. feeling for you of like, as well, you know, you know, and yet it's a lesser extent of the marathon, but the feeling of, I'm one of the only people who, who know what, it, what this feels like, you know, yeah. it must be a bit of, a, you know, loneliness almost. Yes, and then you don't really want to talk about it. And mm. it was only when I started training again for the next race that I realised that all my fitness was gone, that, that finishing that one race didn't give me a free pass or a golden ticket of health and fitness that I could carry forward. And running can be yeah. a fairly cruel sport. It's not like a skill-based game like football or riding a bike or tennis where the skill remains with you. So you can, you can always just get out and do it. You might be lacking this specific fitness for it, but you can still do the skill part. And so that's something. But with running, you have to stick with it. You have to stay at it. If you, if you miss a week or two weeks of your of your training cycle, you are going to feel the difference when you start back. Now, just as I mentioned that, I had Professor Barry Smith on as the, the, the last podcast, and he actually has uh, an article, a scientific paper, 
about missing a few days during your training plan or, or a block of training and how it'll actually affect you going forward and what you can do to go forward. So it might actually be worth having a look at some of the stuff that he has done. And as I mentioned, Barry, he finished around 3.11 in the Dublin Marathon there on Sunday. So he had a massive PB. So he's obviously practicing what he's preaching. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but yeah, look that that like I say, I, I, I touched earlier on you know recovery, and, and, and something I choose to do is, is to is to essentially do a couple of miles easy the day after, and then a couple of miles more the day after that. And look, there's absolutely an aspect of that with me where it's almost like you know getting out for a little bit of a run. It, it, you know, you're almost getting just a little bit of that feeling of of, of moving again, and those little bit of an, of an endorphins, and you know, essentially to take the edge off as, as you were, and like. As long as you're, you know, moving out of the, in that kind of healthy way, I think, you know, a long walk is also a really good way, especially a long walk, in, in, you know, in, in, a, in a sunny a sun, sunny day, get the sun around you, is a really, really positive way to kind of improve that kind of, that, that, that runner's, you know, that, 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 that low that you'll be um, experiencing over these next couple of days. Um, and you, you also miss, you know, you, you spend a lot of weeks running with a certain group of people. You're all going through this, this experience together. And then you do the experience, you do the marathon, and you talk about it, and then you kind of move on, and you know you sort of think, well, that's that's something that's definitely missing, you know, from your life at that point. So that that's that's another really important part of I think of being part of a club, you know, and that's everything from having that WhatsApp group, you know, sharing photos, meeting up on the Tuesday and Thursday, and even on the Sunday again, to, to I guess to, a bit of, to have a bit of a debrief, because it's something that you go through very, very individually and you have that experience on your own and you, you, very, you get that pride in yourself for achieving something. But it, it's something then, it's definitely worth sharing. It's worth talking to the people about and getting their experiences. And if you, you know, it's almost like I always, I always compare it to like school kids coming back after the summer when you meet up with people after with your club. You all, you're all excited to tell us your story and you're excited to see how so-and-so did and whether he made that same mistake this year or whether he didn't. And everyone's in, you know, in such a good form after it. It's a really great way to be. And I think that's a perfect way to end the podcast. If you enjoyed this or any of the other episodes, you might consider leaving a review on Spotify or wherever you listen, pass it on to a friend. And if you haven't listened to the previous few episodes, which again were marathon specific, it might be worth having a listen back over those. There's one on pacing, one on tapering, and there's also one on research that has been done around marathon finishing times and whatever else. We called it Running With Data with Professor Barry Smith, marathon runner. So, Matthew, thanks very much for your time. Thanks very much. And talk to you soon. Yeah.